This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> This episode of Half Measures is brought to you by Time Travelling Team. I'm Trisha. Each week, Paul and Dan do a fantastic job guiding us through the wide world of movies and TV shows. Meanwhile, my co-host Paddy and I are taking a trip through the time vortex and discussing the wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey world of Doctor Who. Starting back from the earliest adventures in 1963, we're discussing the stories, the Doctor, the companions and the villains of this iconic show. You can find us at Time Team on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy as Paul and Dan do their thing, half-measure style. Kia ora, and welcome into another episode of Half Measures, and we are into the 70s. Yes, this is episode 70, and ready to disco, it's Dan Whiting. Kia ora, Dan. Kia ora, Paul. Episode 70, can't believe it, we're smashing through them. I've been thinking about, you know, we're going to have to do something special for 100. I don't know what that looks like, but it'll need to be It'll need to be good. Well, we're known for putting in a lot of planning, so um, so we should start now, right? Because we've got 30 episodes to get there by my math. Sounds good. Sounds good. The 70, though, it is, it is pretty crazy. It got me thinking about a number of things, starting with the 70s. Uh, so much great stuff from the 70s. A New Hope, the original Battlestar, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Tom Baker and the TARDIS, Roger Moore as James Bond. It's a great you decade. You and I were born in the 70s. There you go, see? It's a, it's, it is obviously the best decade of all. The Godfather. Oh, so much. Superman, so much great stuff. It really was a, a golden era of cinema and TV, wasn't it? Mm. Mm. Was indeed. Uh, before we go any further, Dan, why don't you kick us off with a little bit about what you've been watching this week? I'd love to do that, Paul. So watched a couple of little things this week. So uh, I actually may have talked about this TV show on the podcast before, but because I've got a some real black spots in my memory about what we have and haven't talked about sometimes on this on this show, uh, we've been... We have been uh, watching, and this this is a bit of a rewatch for me, particularly of this first season, uh, a show called Animal Kingdom. Do do you recall me talking about this show? Yeah, that does ring a bell. It does yeah, ring a so, bell. But, so, so we've basically uh, had, I had a recommendation to um, get back into it. I only watched the first season. There's four seasons out. It's on Neon here in New Zealand. And it, so it basically centers around a, a Southern California family whose excessive lifestyle is fueled by their criminal activities. And it's kind of like a, a mashup of Point Break and Sons of Anarchy. And I, I've got real fond memories of talking about this TV show being like Sons of Anarchy. So forgive me if I've been talking, if I, you know, if I've, gone into detail about this one before but so we've just watched uh season one um it's interesting it's it's sort of even though this is a bit of a second time watching it um i'm kind of trying you know trying to sort of stay committed to it trying to sort of get into it it's kind of got some interesting um characters and and things going on there basically this family uh is, is governed by this main 
matriarch of the family who's called Smurf, and she organises all of the, that's her nickname, uh, organises all the heists, divvies out the money, decides what happens, and she keeps, she's basically got these four boys that, well, her, her kids, who basically do the do the dirty work, and she keeps them all sort of on a fairly tight sort of leash, and often has them kind of competing against each other, not only for her sort of motherly love, but for who's sort of going to get the biggest um, cut. And so, yeah, it's kind of been an interesting watch. It's it's a pretty, you know, brain and neutral go along for sort of the, the crime drama ride. And we're just sort of in the early stages of season two now. So hopefully this time we'll sort of see out the, the entire series. Um you know, it's it's fun. It's nothing super special, uh, but it, it's a good time. It looks pretty good. Read pretty well. I love the I love the synopsis. You know, the 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 lifestyle is fueled by criminal activities. Ellen Backen, she plays Smith. I see. She's she's always good. Very seen her in a few Pacino, De Niro movies. Yeah, looks. I, I like the poster. Even the poster just draws me in as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's um, I think it's that. Like, it, there's they're always doing some sort of crazy like surfing, uh, motorcycling, f- fancy vehicles, you know, a bit of crime, a bit of tension every now and again. And, and you know, it's sort of got that, that type of drama that just sort of hooks you in to see whether, like, can they pull off this heist? Can they, you know, get these various people involved? How are they going to get out of this situation? So if you're looking for something, I, I think it's, you know, it, you could you could do worse than Animal Kingdom. And I think what you said, Paul, about the it's the review that's really got me, or the score that's really got me back mm. in it, because not many shows sort of maintain this sort of high score. And so I've I've just sort of thought after you know getting the recommendation, you know what, give it another go, get back on the horse. And where am I watching this one then? You are watching it on Neon here in New Zealand. Nice. Uh, what else have I watched? I have been back to the movies, Paul. He loves it. Got a. I'm I'm out there, you know. I'm keeping this economy going. So uh, I went to see a little um, indie art house project um, about a a young man who is trying to reconnect with his brother. And ultimately, the you know the real premise of the movie is it's about family. This oh, movie, no, <laughs> got him. This movie, F nine, the fast saga. <laughs> so. <clears throat> I can't believe you fell for that. I thought I thought you were going to see right through that straight away. No, but as soon as the mention of family, there's only there's only one time you talk about family, and that's when it involves Vin Diesel. <laughs> so yeah, so went along to um, this movie. This is obviously a movie we've talked about a lot on the podcast. It's been delayed because of COVID. Uh, finally out, and look, I'm a. I'm a, in general, a fan of the Fast and the Furious franchise. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the first movie. I think you know, there's, there's some okay movies like Tokyo Drift's quite good. The fifth movie's all right. I have to say, I'm not sure how I feel about this movie, and I'm not quite sure why. So, Paul, allow me to sort of delve into a little bit of detail of this movie without sort of going to a too spoiler heavy because. I think a lot of it is revealed in the trailer. So this movie kind of reminds me of the Friends reunion. So <laughs> Come on, you got to sell that to me. So this movie, F9, has just about every character, every main character that's ever been in Fast and the Furious 
comes back into F9 apart from The Rock um, and Jason Statham. They're, they're all back in. And look, time has moved on, Paul. You know, some of these guys, like some of them look the same. A lot of them do not look the same. And I feel like, you know, there's just a certain point where landing on car bonnets, flying through the air, falling bloody hundreds of stories and surviving like your body just can't can't do it and I think you know as much as I champion the Fast and the Furious world this is the first time in this movie where I was like god like you've kind of got to go into it like like with all of the Fast and the Furious movies with a sense of humor but this is so over the top it just it pushes everything to whole new limits and for something's happened where in the other movies they always kind of just sort of rode this fine line of like this is over the top but it's kind of fun this almost just just goes so ridiculously over the top they're sort of they're talking they're even you know they're it's like they've embraced every internet joke, meme, conversation that's ever happened. Like they're literally having conversations about, are we superheroes? You know, we, we never get hurt. Like we're immortal. Like, you know, there's jokes about them going into space. This is a mini spoiler. And they actually go into space at one point in this in this movie. And just some of the some of the situations are just I don't know, like it was beyond the laughing. It felt a little bit cringe at times. And it's the first movie where I've really been like, oh, I don't know if this is the way. Like, don't get me wrong. I'll be back for F10. But um, there's an F10. There was, oh, there's definitely going to be an F10. I, I think there was something that came out a little while ago about there is an end in sight for this franchise. But I think there's a couple of, couple more movies still in the in the pipeline. As you were talking, I was just flicking through different photos online and I see a car that appears to be, <laughs> for want of a better term, strapped to the back of a rocket, which makes a lot of sense because you're going to need a car up in space. Um, I don't care about spoilers, Dan. I need to know why that car is going into space. I, I, I can't wait. I need to know. Okay, so make sure you use the time codes if you are off to see this movie and you don't want to have this critical plot point ruined for you. So that sort of brings back the main villain, Cypher, and there's obviously Mr. Nobody and the sort of the reference to all those sort of characters who you'll be familiar with now, mm-hmm. uh, Paul. And basically they're, they're trying to stop this um, virus-type system basically being uploaded to the world, which will basically control um, all nuclear weapons and... Uh, things like that and basically the way they upload and spread this this uh they don't really refer to it as a virus but think of it like a virus is through a satellite and so they're trying to attack this problem from two areas they're trying to stop the satellite by destroying it and they're also trying to like stop the stop the device and so the only way to um stop the satellite ultimately is to destroy the satellite and so basically you know they <laughs> It's so convoluted. <laughs> they they bring in the, some some characters from Fast and the Furious Three, Tokyo Drift. They're working now in America on an, on some rocket cars. They end up like convincing these guys to let them use the rocket car, and they get up into space. They don't stop the satellite in time, and then they use the car to destroy the satellite. Um, and not only do they not actually die in the process. They then sort of like float towards a, you know, the International Space Station and no, get saved. No. So we've seen how hard it is to actually dock with the International Space Station, but 
<laughs> in the, they can they can sort of swing a car in there. That's great. Yeah, that is that, great. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what though. This isn't even the most ridiculous. Like it's one of the ridiculous things in this movie. But there, there's so many ridiculous things, and and this is what I mean. Like there's a lot of the time with Fast and the Furious, you know you're in for the ridiculous and it's fun. But this this really goes over the top, and even even Vin Diesel is, you know. So so <sighs> I'm really I'm going to get all ranty. So basically, like the whole film starts, it's Vin and Letty, and they've got their well, it's Vin's kid, uh, little kid Brian. Um, they're living sort of remote. Uh, all of a sudden, they're kind of called back into action. They leave uh, little Brian behind. The sort of the plot plays out that uh, real Brian from the from the films, who's actually dead in real life, they're still referencing him just as a as a character who's doing babysitting duty now. But they never actually sort of like deal with the issue. They go into the jungle. They've got like some practical cars, like Jeep Wranglers and motorbikes, but then they they drop in like like a Dodge and like they're racing through the jungle and there's like it's just so crazy. Like, and I, it's almost sort of lost the whole premise of who is giving you guys all this stuff? Like, why, why? And like now the government's helping them, the Air Force is helping them at some point. Like, like these guys were stealing Blu-ray players, Paul, yep. from the back of a truck. DVD we, players. We've gone too far. Yep. Yeah, it's 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 gone it's gone so far. I just love the idea of being in that writers' room where people are pitching these ideas, and someone's nodding and going, "That's in, that's in the movie, that's definitely going to happen." Um, I have three things uh, I'm going to quickly say about this one: F nine, the first saga. That that's an odd title. That feels like if I was buying the box set, they might call it the first saga. That feels odd to me. Two, I see this movie is like two and a half hours. Like that is. For this sort of a movie, I want to be done in two hours. That's, that feels like it could be going on a bit long for me. And that's not just about the Fast and Furious. It's just about this type of uh, genre. This is one of my complaints about the Transformers later movies. And then finally, that poster. We were talking about the, how good the, the poster was for um, Animal Kingdom. This is This is awful. I feel like I know some visual designers who might be able to do a better job with that. Yeah, look, it's definitely a little bit too long. It's definitely getting a bit tired. There's so many characters, like the the whole, you know, it doesn't matter if you're dead in this program, they're, they're bringing you back. No one's really dead. It's, it's just gone a little bit crazy. And there's something about Vin Diesel in this movie, which is just rubbing me up the wrong way, which, which is, again, I feel kind of like torn saying this because... I actually enjoy Vin Diesel in the in the earlier films. Like his over the topness is perfect. But I feel like in every scene that he's in, if the camera pans out, he's always got his crisp white singlet on, and he's like clenching his fists like so hard when he's talking to people. It's almost like he's clenching it to like, you know, like I need my muscles to flex even harder. And it's like it's so I don't know, Paul. Like, don't get me wrong, it's got to be seen because it's that's how ridiculous it is. But some some type of magic sauce ingredient isn't the same as the other movies for me. Oh, I will I will eventually get to this, but the tagline for this movie surely should be it's got to be seen that's how ridiculous it is. I like that. Indeed. Indeed. Uh and then the only other thing I've watched uh is I watched episode 2 um of Loki which came out uh last week and I've actually I'm actually thinking, I'm not sure about this one as much, you know, like I was really on board for WandaVision. I was really mm. on board for uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. This one just hasn't quite hooked me yet. And 
it's getting really good reviews, but it's it's only six episodes long, so there's another episode um, due out, uh, or actually came out last night, which um, I'll, you know, we'll be at the midway point then, so I'm intrigued to see where the story's going. I don't know what it is, like Loki's a bit more of a main character than potentially some of the other Marvel characters we've seen, but yes, yeah, story-wise, I'm, st- I'm unsure whether this is um, is as good as the reviews or the critics are saying, but mm. you know, I think I'll, I'll I'll come back to it when we're a, a bit closer to the end and sort of um, let you know whether this is this is a go or a no go. I think the draw card of Tom Hiddleston obviously is is quite a big one for a lot of people. I mean, he's a great actor. I've enjoyed in a few things myself, and so even with that, my not my knowledge of this whole franchise not being brilliant, I would give it a go on the basis that I really enjoy Tom Hiddleston. But uh, interesting. We'll keep a watching brief on that, Dan, as the episodes flow, because it is it is rating and trending real high. Indeed, indeed. All right, and that's all I've watched, so I'll hand the uh, mic back over to you. Okie dokie. So I've got two things, two movies. Um, I did go on a 70s vibe this week, and you know, to celebrate the 70th episode. So I thought I'd watch a 70s movie. So I did as I do, which is to dip my hand in the old uh, Amazon Prime lolly jar. And I found in that lolly jar, 1976's uh, The Diamond Mercenaries, um, which is a bit of a heist movie. Um, It's also in some countries uh, known as Killer Force, um, but to be honest, I think the Diamond Mercenaries works much better in, in terms of the context of the of the actual plot. Um, we've got some classic cast in this. We've got Peter Fonda. We've got uh, Christopher Lee, O.J. Simpson, Terence, uh, sorry, Telly Salavas. Um, just some really, really um, great 70s iconic actors. I mean, Telly Salavas played Kojak for years. Peter Fonda, Easy Rider. Oh, Maud Adams is in it as well. She's she's like the only person to play three different characters in three different Bond movies. And yeah, Christopher Lee's voice, a real treat as always. The movie is 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 really, really great for me. It's it it the first thing that drew me in on the subject of posters was the poster itself. Just they don't make them like that anymore. Absolutely brilliant poster. Then the plot, uh just a five-man team of professionals undertake a daring robbery at a diamond mine. Uh, throw that into some low budget, some 70s music, some 70s fashion. We've got lots of deserts, lots of sand, lots of disco music. It's just it's just a great time. It's an hour 42. Um, the, I watched this on the, on the train when I was traveling into Wellington. And when we pulled into the station, the guy sat next to me actually said, oh, sorry, but um, can I actually ask what movie that is? Because like, he'd obviously been just, I don't know, just looking across and must have been like, this looks absolutely insane. And uh, it's a great time. It, I'm furious that it's scoring like 5.4 out of 10. But what I will say is it's just not been seen by enough people. It's only had 500 people vote on it. So that's not even representative enough. It's... um. It's I'd, so I'd say it's not been seen by that many people. It's just one of those things that just Amazon Prime just seems to pick up and just and just publish. I loved it. It's definitely got. Uh, we we talked about this a little bit earlier in the week, but it's got a really awesome poster, doesn't it? It's like one of those real classic movie posters that looks all hand illustrated and great um, shots of the different cast members. And as you say, like what a what a star studded cast. Yeah, and. 
you know, this movie being filmed in the 70s, as you can imagine, there's an occasional piece of dialogue that just wouldn't fly today. And it's always, it's always so odd to hear that. And most disturbingly, when you're hearing it from, you know, Count Dooku himself, um, actually, he's got a real um, uh, Scaramanga vibe, you know, his Bond villain in this movie, because he's, he's so much younger. But um, yeah, sort of, yeah, some of the racist and sexist comments just so seem to flow so easily in 76 just would not fly at all today but that's not enough to put me off this one was a lot of fun it's one of those movies though that has a real sudden ending and i don't think we're gonna have to worry about spoilers for this one but like literally at the end someone escapes in a helicopter and the guy who's chasing him telly salivas just looks up and he goes i'll find him and then it just cuts the credits like real quickly it's just there's no sort of long fade out winning it's uh it's good fun Great fun. So yeah, so Killer Force, Amazon Prime, definite recommendation. And then the the second thing I watched, other than the things we watched together, was the Hunger Games. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure everyone has seen the Hunger Games. If you haven't, you've really got to get out there and get amongst this because it's just such a great premise for a movie. And we... Uh, Diana and I watched this with our, our 11-year-old son. We were looking for a movie that was just a little bit, you know, he's getting a bit older, show him a bit more stuff. And it's just absolutely brilliant fun. The the televised competition with these two teenagers, you know, to fight to the death. Uh, you know, it's... I, I just love so much about this movie and I'd forgotten so much because, you know, it's 2012. So, you know, it's, it's coming up 10 years and all the, the wild... Um, Eccentrics, the the, the the Elizabeth Banks character and the way she talks and sort of has that sort of dress sense like a 1920s with some really crazy colours and and then you've got the over the top talk show host um Stanley Tucci um just there's just so many great characters um yeah so re- revisiting this a decade later I actually spotted a few people who I didn't know were in it the first time it came out and most notably for me would be uh, Wes Bentley um, as Seneca Crane who we of course love as, as, as Jamie Dudden um, Liam Hensworth um, who's pretty small role in this movie and then Jack Quaid who was great in, in Logan Lucky he's now a main cast member in Star Trek and of course you you probably remember him or associate him most as the, the guy from The Boys eh? Mm, that's right so um yeah that's um it's a uh, it's one of those classic movies eh, that you can always go back to and always have a, a pretty good time and i think what always surprises me with particularly the first hunger games movie is actually how dark it is for a, a pg-13 movie like yeah. it's 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 a pretty grim subject matter and i think they did a really good job at just sort of writing that line and there's lots of sort of intent in there but they actually could have gone really dark like darker than they did go and sort of made it an r-rated movie but they've they've sort of made it for the masses and it, it still works really well yeah no it's a good shape for pg there are there's some really borderline things you know you're spot on the um what was i going to say oh so so yeah so aside from those other cast members of course the heart of this movie is is around the character of, of katniss and uh, jennifer lawrence was I was looking back, she was actually one of our very early peak performances. And my pick for her back then was in this role as Katniss. And and this rewatch for me has really cemented it. I think she just encapsulates that character so well. I feel like 
you know, when you're watching it, you're really drawn in, you're really on her side. Um, there's a, there's just like her, I'm invested in her character surviving. She makes me care about the people she's from, even though you only see them in like the first 10 minutes and then the last five minutes or something like that. Um, I've never read the book, so, you know, I'm not a, I'm not that deep into it, but there's, there's like a, like you said, revisiting it, there's like this great universe law that's been set up. There's so much, I don't want to call it pop culture, but there's things that like, um, may the odds be ever in your favor. And, the 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 hand salute with the three fingers and even language like words like um tribute i know that tribute was a thing before you know for many centuries but i just don't know that people used that word as much before that movie maybe i'm just uncultured i don't know but it felt like that brought it to the surface for me what i love about movies like this and it's a bit like the handmaid's tale is you know you hear them in a work sense now like people are oh, I'll, I'll be the tribute for this or you know that's it you know, or you'll see people do the the salute, just like you hear people say, under his eye, or blessed be the fruit, and in day-to-day work culture now. I love that sort of like blending of pop culture and real life. Yeah, I, it's exactly in the workplace. I was thinking that like sometimes a piece of work will come in and, you know, the, my manager will say something, oh, can I have two tributes for this place? You know, and it's, you know, that's 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 the kind of thing I'm thinking of. Um I'm pretty sure we we could make this a weekly Saturday night movie with the, the next couple of movies because, Dan, I realised when I looked through, I have never seen the final one, The Mockingjay Part 2, so I need to actually get a max of that. can't believe I somehow missed it. That, that's a, a two-part movie, isn't it? Mm, yes, yeah, so I've seen Mockingjay Part 1. I haven't seen the Part 2. Yeah, and I, I don't right, know why. Right. Don't don't know why. So, um, wow. So that's what I've been watching this week, Dan. Oh, that sounds good. Um, has it inspired your your son to want to read the books or anything, or just stick with the movies at this stage? Uh, not at this stage. I'm actually brainwashing him as we speak. I've got him reading a couple of uh, different uh, Star Wars novels, so um, <laughs> yeah, right, fully, fully, fully brainwashing him. Priorities, priorities. Mm. Cool. Shall we uh, move on over to Star Wars: The Bad Batch? Indeed. So the episode. Reunion, Season 1, Episode 8. Um, the Batch find themselves cornered on treacherous terrain. Can you give us a little bit more than that? <clears throat> Another great episode starring Scopes. Um, I think, uh, I'll tell you, Paul, this has probably been my favourite episode of The Bad Batch so far. And this episode converted me from a Bad Batch grumbler to a Oh yeah, it's this is getting good, and I think we're about to enter into uh, a story arc or some stuff that's that's going to be really interesting, which I'd love to sort of pick apart with you in a moment. But basically, uh, in, in this episode of the Bad Batch, uh, we basically had Scopes, aka Crosshair, uh, hunting down the rest of the Bad Batch, and they found themselves in a, a bit of a, a tight situation. And as per usual, the, the Bad Batch managed to fight their way out of it. Unfortunately, on this mission, much like um, the Mandalorian with the baby Yoda, they have now lost Omega in this process. And we got introduced to another uh, throwback Clone Wars character. And I thought this one was, like, Rex was great, but this was a, an epic mic drop. Yeah. No, the... So... Seeing Cad Bane, for me, one of the 
yeah, I'm going to say all time great, but this is so strange because again, we're talking about a character from animation, but one of the great characters from Clone Wars. Um, and he shows up in a few of the comics I've got here in a couple of books, but we haven't seen him on screen since the original run of Clone Wars. I remember he was referenced in Rebels, but we haven't seen him for a long, long time. And he is just this great bounty hunter. He has this real Western, sort of spaghetti Western type vibe to him and a real great voice. Um, even his his little, um, I forget the name of the assistant droid, but that that's played by Seth Green. He shows up as well. He hasn't been around since... Toto. That's it. Toto, Toto 360. 360. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was that was awesome. But you're right. This was a great episode. I really enjoyed it too. I would I would put this right up there with the premiere. I by my count, we're on a good roll here. I think that's three good enjoyable episodes in a row, and so that's really really pleasing. Another episode that finishes leaving me wanting more, which is always a great way to feel at the end of an episode. Um, I love the whole. You know, when you talked about their escape, I love the way they escape through the ion engine. Just like, because you always see those huge engines, you know, at the back of the Star Destroyers lit up, but to actually see it on the, crashed on the surface of a planet. And the planet itself um, s- serves as the, the backdrop for, for Jedi Fallen Order, which is where we first encounter that. So to have it appear here just makes it feel even more canon as well. So I, I love the way they've brought that into the series too. I'll tell you one thing that did happen in the episode, um, and it's obviously, I don't, this isn't the case at all, but it, it just kind of had an interesting uh, nod for me, is when Crosshair was, you know, badly kind of uh, wounded from the his encounter with the Bad Batch, and he sort of got picked up by... Uh, the rest of the emperor and they're kind of bandaging him up and looking after him and he kind of had like a bandage over one of his eyes it had a real uh dengar vibe to me you know dengar the the other bounty hunter and i thought to myself for like a real moment i'm like dengar could it be and then i was like nah it doesn't it doesn't quite sort of sync up um time wise or story wise or everything we kind of know about dengar um but i think a couple of interesting things have happened now in this episode so I think that Crosshair has ultimately failed the Empire, so it's going to be interesting to see whether he's kind of tossed aside in this process, and in which case we'll sort of force a a reconnection with the Bad Batch, or whether he's actually going to be able to have another go at trying to, I guess, capture the Bad Batch. I think the other really interesting thing is that now that, uh, you know, Bad Bane, Bad Bane, Cad Bane made short work of the... um, of the existing clones and he's off with Omega, but we've now got this interesting sort of arc where we've got Phoenix Shan, we've got Cad Bane. Mm. Are we on the verge of Boba Fett? Are we, Paul? Are we getting a Boba Fett, Cad Bane? Are we getting a War of the Bounty Hunters type thing happening here? Are we going to get to see how Boba Fett gets the dent in his helmet with a showdown with Cad Bane? I love the energy you put into these theories. I'm just thinking about the age that Boba Fett would be at this point. If you think about how much older he would have been since Attack of the Clones. And then when we, oh, you know, we see him in Rebels, I just, I don't think so is my answer based on, I think if we do, he'll be quite young and I don't think he'll be, you know, not the Boba Fett that we're thinking of or we're talking about right now. So, but 
I am quite honestly sick and tired of the number of times you've predicted something and it comes true. I mean, we're going to talk about it later in Handmaid's Tale. We've talked about it before. I even had someone contact me this week to confirm that yes, indeed, you were right. It wasn't a Rata. It was a, a Dianoga. You're right. Top marks then. Well, I think what's going to be interesting is we know that Boba Fett and Fennec Shand have got a, a great connection from early on. We know that we're getting the book of Boba Fett later on this year. This could be a real interesting sort of opportunity to sort of, you know, tell some more backstory that isn't going to be critical to the live action, but will give the nerds like us a real kind of, you know, something to kind of hook into. So, look, I'm excited. I'm intrigued to see where they go with this. I think the show's finally hitting its stride. I still stand by the fact I think they should have given us more episodes up front. Um, but this this is this is getting good and I'm excited. If you'd like the clairvoyant Dan Welling to read your palm or tea leaves, then just visit halfmeasurespodcast.com and sign up to be one of our Patreons. I do um, palm readings for all Patreons. So mm. yeah, just do that. That'll be fantastic. <laughs> You've really set yourself up there. <laughs> Indeed, indeed. Okay, uh, what else have we been watching, Paul? We've also watched a little bit of Rick and Morty, which has returned uh, Season 5, Episode 1. Season 5, Episode 1, Mort Dinner, Rick Andre. Um, Rick hosts dinner for his ocean-dwelling nemesis while Morty gets the wine. The most simple sounding of uh, synopsis, um, but just oh, undoubtedly this is, for me, the best animated comedy out there at this point and just just one episode i'm already just i just can't wait for the next one it's just it's so it's so good it's the highest grade for me it's a it's such a funny tv show isn't it and i think it's a real you know you actually text me and said oh rick and morty's back and it kind of was like oh yeah I, I kind of like I felt that warm, fuzzy feeling inside because I was like, oh, yeah, this is just what I need, just a, a casual episode of Rick and Morty. And I think what was interesting about this episode, and I presume it's the same for the other ones and maybe I've just forgotten, but I really thought they ramped up the band language in this one. Like they were if this, if that, like every second word in it. And for some reason it was just done in, and it was done in an angry, funny way and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, this is, I mean, how the, how on earth is this TV 14 rating? I mean, I don't even know what that means, but it's, it's just, it's just seems a, a whole lot more than that. I did notice, um, that whilst the bad language was ramped up, the, um, the, the burping, uh, you know, the character of Rick is not there's less belchiness than than previous season. You know how he sort of brings that into his into his normal sentences. I've always been fascinated by that. It's so effortless though with this show how each of their you know, each of the characters has their own story going on within the context of a very very basic premise of an episode. And I think when you talk about getting the warm fuzzy feelings, and when I was excited to see it's back, it's because you just know there's never any filler. Every episode delivers something hilarious and it's a great season opener it wastes no time getting straight down to business it's like it's like you've just walked halfway through and any other episode you know with morty about to crash the ship and just give up on life and um the, the rick character the the voice of, of of rick so so uh justin roiland yeah justin roiland yeah it's just immaculate it really is but for me i sadly have to say I feel like I relate a little too much to the dad, Jerry, in in this show. And I can imagine as my kids get older that they will be wrecking me 
just as much as Jerry's kid wrecks him. It's um, it's I love that side of the story. I think what they do really well with this show is they they've obviously you know it, it's so modern and so fresh. They're bringing in some some hot issues that are affecting the world today. They you know make light of things in a in a in a good way mostly. I love the way that um, Morty's always like, I've barely been to school. Like you're constantly pulling me out of school and on adventures. I know nothing. Like I'm so behind. And I just thought the the villain of Mr. Nimbus was just so, so well done in this episode. Had a real, kind of had a real like wild David Bowie vibe to me. Yeah, Mr. Nimbus was a, a very eccentric character, very incredible uh, voice from uh, from Dan Harmon, uh, who's who's done a lot of voices in the show, obviously as a you know, as one of the creators. But just it was a bit of a play on like a, a Mickey take out of Aquaman, thrown in with a whole bunch of other things, and just and just just I think hilarious. What's always great is when um, when Rick always says things like, "I oh, didn't land in the water, did you? Oh, not the water!" Like it's like yeah. an everyday thing, and it turns into like a big ordeal of the entire show, and and I love that. There was a real passive aggressive sort of dig at you know environmentalists, which of course isn't funny because we should all be protecting our ocean, but. They're- there was definitely a vibe about that at first when they when he went through when when morty went through the portal um to go and get the wine and then he sort of yeah he's chatting to the guy and then he comes like i was just thinking i love the attention to detail you know to that mini side of the story and then that actually turned out to be the main story there's just no way you can predict which which way this show is going to go the writing is just uh this, it just flows so naturally and it's unlimitedness because it's animation and, and of course they've got this portal that takes them wherever they want to go. Indeed, indeed. No, so definitely make sure you are getting on Rick and Morty if you are not on that train. Um, but yeah, get season five, another 90 episodes to go, I imagine, off the season. So we'll be reporting back how the rest of them go. Indeed. And uh, Next up, Dan, uh, we watched the finale of the handmaid's tale season four episode 10 the wilderness yeah so this episode basically june draws on all of her resources and relationships risking everything to ensure a justice um, of her own kind is delivered this was a a pretty uh epic season finale i thought had a had a couple of um interested sort of plot holes as these shows always do but in general we you know we got a big character death um we i think we really you know i remember at the start of the season you know saying when are we going to get june turning into sarah connor when are we gonna sort of like see that moment and i think what what they did in this episode is that she did a really good job of enabling like june's been sort of on this path for the last few episodes she she made the full turn and but she needed the help of the american government and i think what they did really well with um the guy who plays the cia agent mark is i always felt that he had a little bit of sympathy for serena and he got to experience uh serena at her best when she's like i want faster internet i want a nice house i want you to speed this up don't take too long and then he was like actually you're a piece of garbage and he sort of helped enable all of these different things to happen not to mention the very best use of the c-bomb i've heard in the tv show for the very <laughs> long time this, this was a fantastic episode 
it really was a great i think the way she delivers it so calmly and matter of fact as well makes it even better because it wasn't even like really out there it was just part of a sentence it was brilliant i have to say this could be the best uh, the best episode since season one some of those early episodes of season one which drew so many people in because of the horrificness of them the the shock factor that made those episodes so memorable certainly the best for this season for me um and it has been a strong season um and i think for me like you were talking about you know serena saying i want this i want that i think after seeing how close waterford was to actually escaping to freedom and to be able to you know just to walk away from everything he'd done it it was it, it felt like he he could have just about made it and then we have this this vengeance this this retribution and i guess probably as much justice as could ever have been had uh the the manner in which he's he's taken out as predicted by uh someone on this on this podcast i um i just thought that was absolutely incredible what i will say is though i I thought that the that the death of Waterford would I always thought it would happen, but I thought it would be like in maybe like the final episode of The Handmaid's Tale. And it feels like to go bigger than taking out Waterford, you know, when the series does close. I feel like they're just gonna have to bring down the whole whole of Gilead or, or something because that's he's he's the villain of the piece. He's the one that is the the pinnacle from the show's point of view. So I was really surprised to see him taken out in what is by no means the final episode. I think this is what's great about it, though, is I think you've now got, like, Alpha June versus Alpha Serena, and depending on what happens with Serena and where she kind of ends up in the story, you've got two pretty big dogs, like, you know, fighting it out for for top spot. And I, I think the one thing – well, actually, there, there's two things in this – no, wait, there's three things that I'd like to talk about, Paul. So I think – one, it would have been um, good for us, and this may be, maybe I'm just a psychopath, but it would have been good to actually see June actually like to see them actually like hanging Fred. Like that would have been like not 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 for the the yeah. gruesome factor, but but purely for the like you know he's been such a villain, and you like it would have been good for them to go through that, you know, that sort of character arc and emotion of we're actually doing this and this is, you know, I've kind of seen him breathe his last breath. I think it would have been good for Serena to actually get Fred's finger in the mail. It was a shame that that was kind of stopped because mm-hmm. I I want Serena mad and real fired up for the next season because that's going to be great. Um, And then my third thing about this episode is, I kind of am just, I'm so unsure about this whole Commander Lawrence thing and he just seems to be this kind of, let me just enable this swap to happen and actually, June, you're the captain now. Like, I, I don't understand, I don't understand. But I think those three things are probably the big things that stuck out for me in this episode, but they're minor in the scheme of things, but that's that, they're probably the enhancements that I think could have really bumped this this review up even higher. Yeah, no fair comments. I think you're right about Serena. I think the uh, I think you're right about Fred as well. Really good observation there because because we witnessed and were forced to witness at length and and quite deliberately what he was doing, what, you know, and how June had to suffer, and that of course was as I said, what drew us all in and and, and wanted us to root for for June. Um, I think we you're right. I think we deserve to see 
the the reverse of that and see the satisfaction of that because yeah it was i mean the manner in which they did it was powerful as well don't get me wrong um i although fred could really run you know even with his hands tied i actually thought at one point are they actually gonna uh, is he gonna outrun them because <laughs> that, yeah. that, that, that wouldn't have worked I thought the same thing too, and I'm also actually shocked that they that June actually managed to get all thirty plus of those ex handmaids in sync to be like, yeah, we're going to do this. I imagine that's quite a a sales pitch that you've actually got to deliver to be like, look, I'm going to pull a an old switcheroo, and then we're going to chase them through the forest, and then we're going to hang them. Like that, that's like, how do you get that mob together? That feels like hard work. Paul. Yeah, that was that was yeah, you're right, and I think getting everyone on board with a bit of struggle. One person who's definitely not on board with it is Luke. He's never, he was, he's never going to be able to cope with what June has done. His reaction was really telling. Um, I think when you're talking about Lawrence, um, yeah, it is a confusing one. I'm not sure. I don't know why, but I just don't care as much about it just because I simply enjoy watching him in every scene. I've just, uh, I'd, I'd love to see the script and to see how much of it he's maybe not ad-libbing but he's just playing with it maybe his reactions to the other characters like when uh, uh when waterford walks in he's, he's just so natural he's gone so deep into that character's head that i just find it absolutely fascinating but um no i take your point i don't quite as we talked about last week quite get where he's where he's going but um no the the, the one loose end for me actually and i wonder if they'll ever follow up on it and it's probably just a red herring but will they those Canadian protesters who came out in support of Fred and Serena, what's their reaction? Or, or if there's none and that's the end of it, like what was ever the point of showing us those people, you know, sort of protesting? But um, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Oh, and I guess too the other thing is where, where is Fred? Like where is his body? Is mm. it in Canada? Is it in America? Is it, sorry, is it in Gilead? Is it in no man's land? Like is this... Like, have they covered his face because they're just making us like? I don't understand what statement they're trying to make, like, or because it has different implications depending on where it is. Yeah. And yeah, it's uh, there's lots of sort of questions in there, but it's definitely got me excited for season five. I kind of I, I want it sooner though. Like, I don't want to wait twelve months for season five. Like, I want season five now. Yeah. No, I um I get that as well. The wait is the killer. The waiting for the Mandalorian. The waiting for everything is the killer. But um, what can you do? Great episode. Great finale. Great season. Definitely going to be in my top ten TV shows for this year. It's um, I, I think seasons two, three, four were, were good, but this one for me is is as strong as the first. It was uh, and it just as we said last week, just went so quickly. So yeah, it's good, good series. Yeah, look, I, I agree. It's it's really good. It, this, you know, some of the other seasons can sometimes be a bit depressing to watch, but I think this season actually had a some some good resolution and some good um, changing of the power dynamic. So I actually think you know I, I I could be interested in the rewatch of this at some point, maybe in time for season five, um, just because I, I've had such a weirdly good time, uh, particularly talking about this season. Mm. Agreed. Agreed. So should we go across to our um, movie of the week, Dan? Yes, let's do that. So uh, each week, Paul and I take turns choosing a movie of the week. If you would like to watch along so that we don't ruin the movie for you, you should come and join our Discord channel. Uh, this week, we have watched the movie Unhinged, which is a 
came out in 2020, stars uh, Russell Crowe, and it's basically the synopsis of this movie is after a confrontation with an unstable man at an intersection, a woman becomes the target of his rage. So, Dan, I'm at this intersection, at the lights. The, the lights are red. There's a car in front of me. The lights go green, but that car in front of me doesn't, doesn't move, so I give them a few seconds. And then I beep my horn. Now, tell me this. Does it matter how I'm beeping my horn? Is there is there like a difference? Well, I think it's important to always look. It depends on your on your mood and your cojones. But are you the type of person to give a courtesy tap? Or are you just like palm on the horn and you're just letting it rip? Because there's quite different outcomes to those two different honks. There really is. A courtesy tap. This movie, we talked the other week last week about you know tv shows trying to teach us morals this movie has convinced me at all times to remain calm and to provide a courtesy tap before just holding your hand on the horn for just a little too long i i cannot tell you how much i enjoyed this movie i feel somehow this obsessed with this movie i feel like it sat with me all week and i feel russell crowe in this role in this this sort of shape that he's in, that he, he gained a significant amount of weight for this role. I feel like there's no one in the role, no one in the world, sorry, who could have played this part as 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 perfectly as Russell Crowe as a man, you know, as the title suggests, unhinged, just saying, do you know what? You didn't give a courtesy tap. You just went full horn. And he's so intimidating in this role. It's It was a brilliant time. What do you think? This is probably the greatest movie of the week that we've watched this year. <laughs> it was so much fun. I, you know, I came into this one thinking, oh, I better watch movie of the week. Um, and I kind of put it on and I was riveted the whole time. I absolutely loved it. I loved the intensity of Russell Crowe. I love sort of, as you just said, the, you know, the um, implications of the things that you do small or big and how they can ripple and affect people in different ways I felt like in many ways this was the modern day version of falling down which we often talk about on this pod 100% it really was and and uh, you know just like with falling down and and appreciating that clearly Russell Crowe plays in this this movie something of a psycho and I don't condone any of what he did but Dan I related so much too much to what he was actually saying and i found myself agreeing with him when he's he's talking about human behavior and uh, you know sometimes people need to learn they need to they need to get some manners and all that and i just feel like you know when he was because of course you know if people are listening we presume they're okay with spoilers when you know when 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 she goes through those lights and and zooms off of course he catches back up with her at another traffic jam and he just puts the window down and he's so calm and he's like you know i'm sorry to hear you having a bad day but you know maybe you and he's just asking for an apology and of course we've seen this 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 um this rachel this character that we're following having had an awful morning is refusing to apologize and you just just the what unfolds after that is 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 unforgivable and i just that the vision of crow over the sort of like hulking over that wheel is just so oh, i we have we done a peak performance of russell crow i feel like we have i feel like i could 
easily put this at the top for me. I just was mesmerized, for want of a better word, by how just how scary he was. I, I think you're right, and I think what's interesting about this movie is so our it's basically one of those movies where there's only really two characters, and the, you know there's a, other people who have quite small roles. Uh, but the so the other main character, Rachel, who's basically the one who's been harassed by Russell Crowe. What is interesting in what you're saying about sort of feeling compassion for Russell Crowe's character is this character Rachel is like she's kind of like doesn't have it together. She's the type of person who's always late. Um, she's I wouldn't say self-centered, but she's just kind of in her own kind of universe about things. And and Russell Crowe's character, you know, isn't sitting out to kind of like have a beef with this lady, but he's like, y- you've gone too far. Like Russell Crowe's having a bad day as well in this movie, and you know, there's there's some bad, very bad things that he's doing. But this this whole interaction could have been completely avoided. And there's just there's there's so much fascination with this movie. I've I've actually got you know we talk about movies that you can watch with your parents. I've actually I've got one of my parents coming to stay soon, and I'm I'm going to bust this movie out again because I want to watch it again, and I I want to see their reactions to this movie. Yeah, oh, 100%. I, I've been recommending this movie all week to different people at work, and I, um, I, I feel like I could go rewatch already as well, which is, is shocking to think within the space of just a, a few days. Um, you're so right about the, you know, the fact that she's she's having a bad day, he's having a bad day, but just simple things lead to big consequences. Uh, shout out actually to Karen Pistorius who plays that role of Rachel who as you say it's it's through her eyes that we see probably like I don't know 90% of the movie she's actually a New Zealander um, she moved here um, at age 12 and started acting at high school productions and things and she was you know she was in the movie Mortal Engines by Peter Jackson that's the only other thing I, I think I've seen that she's been in and I thought she's really good in this and and of course she gets the best line of the whole movie right at the end, um, which, I mean, I, I laughed out loud when she delivered that line, which of course is not appropriate given what she's been through, but I was just, I was on an emotional high watching this movie and I, I still can't quite put my finger on it. And I just, I think the fact that you said this is the best movie we, we've had all year just validates my whole energy around this because it's just, it's just enthralling. It's a, I'm furious that it's six out of 10 on IMDb this is a popcorn movie at its very best and I want a prequel yeah. about Russell Russell Crowe's character and why he, why is he he's having such a bad year. I like I I'm with you. I also laughed out loud and repeated the final line that sort of Rachel says in this movie because I thought it was so funny. And then I was almost kind of I was almost conflicted about what to call this episode because there's the great line out of The Handmaid's Tale and then there's this great line about uh, courtesy taps and it. Uh, it's it's so good and I think this is really a, a sleeper hit movie and I hopefully you know we can get the word out through the you know the half measures community that if you haven't seen this definitely go and watch it I don't know why it's a six this should be a a nine it's it's honestly so much fun and if you drive a vehicle and I don't know about you and I don't want to say too much about myself but sometimes behind the wheel you feel a little bit more I don't know, a little bit invincible or a little bit protected and you just uh, like I will quite often have my arms in the air like an Italian you know as me being racist and stereotypical but you know sort of like really like 
it's the type of thing I wouldn't do to someone face to face, but behind the wheel, I'm like, oh, what are you doing? You know, but I, I feel like we can all like I've come away with this genuinely thinking I need to calm down because I'm impatient. I'm behind the wheel. I say some, <laughs> some terrible things, <laughs> and uh, I think it's worth keeping myself in check because it, it is a very real thing, right? Indeed, indeed. Um, yeah, look, this gets all the guns for me. I'm, I'm giving it four guns. That's how much I loved it. Yeah, oh, 100% all the guns from me as well. And if you're in New Zealand, you can watch this one on Neon. Awesome. Shall I take us on over to the news desk? Let's go there. All right, so um, I've talked about this TV show a little bit on the podcast before, but um, Paul, as a fan of Rick and Morty, uh, you should probably get amongst this. So Solar Opposites, you might have heard me talk about, which is a show on uh, Disney, and it is produced by, um, co-created, sorry, with Justin Roiland, who made uh, Rick and Morty, and it's just about to drop season three, and they've already renewed it for season four, and I, I've been watching this sort of show as a, you know, sort of every every now and again between episode, like, you know, between other things, and it is so much fun, it's got so much Rick and Morty humour, this, this is going to be right up your alley, the next time you're looking for something, get amongst it, and it's obviously going to be golden season three if they're already renewing it for season four. Um, I'm straight in. It's, it's just been added to the list as we've been talking. Mike McMahon, Justin Rowland, these guys. So these are the guys, you know, not just Rick and Morty, but Star Trek Lower Decks. And that quality of animation, that quality of writing together, it's always going to be a winning combination. Brilliant. Good call. Indeed, indeed. Uh, it looks like there is a new Tower of Terror movie uh, being produced based off the, the ride in uh, in Disneyland. Mm. And it looks like that Scarlett Johansson is going to be um, part of the, the team bringing that to us. So that's going to be interesting. Interesting to see what they do with a movie like that. Um, not much news at this stage. They're still in the early stages of trying to find a director, but should be interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Um, this will probably be a little bit of sadness to you, Paul, but Harrison Ford has suffered a bit of an injury rehearsing for Indiana Jones 5 in a fight sequence. Shoulder. No good. We're just... Shoulder, that's right. This is no good. You know, you got to look after yourself when you're Han Solo. You're getting a bit older. You don't, you don't want to damage yourself too soon. He's only 34, right? That's true. Same age as us. Correct. We get injuries all the time. <laughs> Let's walk it off. Walk it off. Um, so yeah, so that looks like it may have a couple of impacts on the movie. Sounds like they're trying to sort of shoot around it, but obviously Indiana, sorry, Indiana Jones, <laughs> Harrison Ford is a is a, a critical character to this. So um, hopefully it doesn't impact the the final release date, but we'll keep you posted uh, with what we hear. Uh, and then a uh, final bit of news from me, and I've actually saw, seen that you've just recently posted this in the Discord channel, Paul, is that Transformers 7 has an official um, title, Rise of the Beasts. So this is uh, our seventh movie in this franchise. And I think what's interesting about it is I was looking at some other news here from the uh, director and producer, and I'll give you this quote. We want to deliver a film that has the scale and spectacle of the Bay films, but with the heart and humour we're able to achieve with Bumblebee. And I think that's just the right level yeah. to be aiming for. Because that's what's sort of been missing for me from the, in fact, 
to be honest. I haven't even seen the last couple, apart from sort of, you know, Bumblebee, because it, it just got too crazy for me. But I think if you can sort of find that sweet spot between the big scale action, but the actual, like, the realness of Bumblebee, then you could be onto something good. And I think, you know, the rise of the beast is a, is a whole big opportunity for them to kind of reset the dial on these movies. It is. And, I, you know, the the battle is between the Autobots and Decepticons, but the the, the main villain in this apparently are going to be the Terracons who receive not that ex- not that sort of um, in much detail in the G1 but uh I've never been big on the beast side of stuff um with the Transformers universe which is why I'm interested to see how Kingdom goes in the animation but um what you just read out before is absolutely spot on because I remember watching you know when we watched Bumblebee how how great that side of things were with the the sort of the, the wow factor of Bay um peter cullen back again as prime um it's oh who am i kidding i'm definitely going to be watching it awesome and that is everything on my news this paul anything from your end yeah i i had the harrison ford as well the only other couple of things i had here um there's been some some photos that have been i don't know if they've been released or leaked i don't know but of um Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan uh, I've I've avoided clicking on that and and looking at it similarly um, there's been apparently a first photo of Michael Keane as Bruce Wayne which I can't allow myself to look at because I need I need to see that I need to have that shock value in the trailer because I've waited for so long for the greatest actor of our time to return as Batman so um so I'm avoiding that. And the only other thing was this week saw the release of the James Gunn released the Suicide Squad trailer. Um, and there seems to be a real, that that looks really good, but there seems to be a real focus in on the Idris Elba character, or at least from the point of view of the trailer, in terms of him being quite front and center of this movie. Margot Robbie still as well. Obviously she's she's always been there in this sort of, in this 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 section of the, you know, the the squad, but um, it looks as if Idris is the the big gun in this one. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I I saw another article that all of the you know there's quite a huge cast attached to the Suicide Squad, and they each actor only got the script up until their character's death. So it'll be really you know it's going to be really interesting to see how they bring all of these characters together. And we're definitely expecting a, a number of deaths. I've actually I've watched the the first trailer they released, but it's the type of movie that I've actually decided, all right, I've seen the trailer, I'm definitely in. I don't need to see any more until the until we get the big release in August. Okay. Okay. Let's let's move over to our mailbag for this week. Um, so last week we reviewed uh, Breeders um, season two and the Simon Blackwell, the, the writer and the guy who actually alongside Madden Freeman created the series, uh, he retweeted our review of Breeders on Twitter. So that was awesome. Uh, the movie Infinity Chamber, uh, we had a lot of traffic through on our socials for this one, a lot of a lot of um, people coming through. We even picked up a like from Screen Rant, 
we had the lead actor um, who played the guy who was trapped in that automated prison. He he liked our Instagram post. He retweeted our review on Twitter. We had the movie's music composer, Jacob Yoffe, share a post and commented that he was going to listen. He couldn't wait to listen to it. We had the movie producer, Laurie Sheldon, thank us and share it on her Facebook page. And then, of course, the movie's writer-director um, who actually gave us access to the movie, Travis Malloy, he shared our review of his movie um he posted it on infinitychamber.com the film distributors websites which has been great for us plus i mentioned last week about how i said there was various you know in different ways you could interpret the the movie and the ending of it he actually um, came back to us and he gave us his own three theories about the movies three theories sorry which i won't i won't read because of course if you haven't watched the movie it won't mean anything but he did add in there he said he just thinks it's amazing whenever fans ask which version is the correct one. And he says, whatever version you've deciphered is the right one. It can be whatever you decide it to be. That's what movies truly are, your own personal experience. Um, honestly, the movie is several different versions. I don't believe it has to be definitive. So that was really, really awesome to get that kind of feedback and number of people coming through to the podcast. Um Oh, Sweet Tooth. So you talked about Sweet Tooth last week. And uh, Dania Ramirez, who's one of the lead actresses who plays Anne, uh, Amy. Um, I know her from Heroes and The Sopranos. She shared our Sweet Tooth uh, post as well on Instagram. Um, also on Instagram, Mayor of Town, a review of that. Um, we had one of our listeners challenge our um well thought through argument that this was a five-star show um which i love i love it when people change their thinking uh nat from wellington uh disagreed uh he came through and said that he set it on a three-star rating he thought it was great character work uh great performances but ultimately he thinks the plot got away on itself particularly the finale the pieces fit and it's explainable but it's very unsatisfying and so he came up with a three-star review so i appreciate you listening and commenting on that one thank you nat and then finally last week's peak performance colin firth we had uh, some some suggestions here sarah from potter went with the first bridget jones movie ryan Went with Fever Pitch. I can't believe I forgot that. It could have made my top three. It's a football movie. How could I have forgotten that? Great, great shout. And then Paddy from Time Traveling Team gave us his 3-2-1 of The Kingsman. Bridget Jones' Baby. That's the third Bridget Jones movie. Uh, and The Importance of Being Earnest, which I don't think I have ever seen. And that is the mailbag. Well- Welcome back, Patty. You've missed a week, and then you've come back in with these bloody hot choices all over the place. God, I don't know. Bridget Jones's baby. Like I, I watched it, but I don't remember it being. So I love, yeah. I love, yeah. I love it when people have something. Um, he actually did. He did actually go on to justify why why he thought uh, that Bridget Jones's baby uh, was. Don't, don't give it to him, Paul. Don't give it to him. <laughs> let him let him sit with it, and the and the listeners of this podcast know that Patty. From time traveling temp rates that movie and is in his top three to each their own. That is the mailbag. All right, shall we move on over? Speaking of peak performances, shall we move over to those? So, uh, much like our movie of the week, Paul and I take turns choosing an actor or an actress and we talk about their uh, peak performances. And this week, we are talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger. 
big Arnold. You can't go wrong with Arnold Schwarzenegger. This, we say it all the time, was so hard because there's just so many classic movies. The difference with Arnold Schwarzenegger is, of course, so many of his movies um, actually have really horrific ratings and all the rest of it because there's a, there's a, there's something else you're getting from a Schwarzenegger movie. It's not, you know, it's not always going to be, you know, Shakespeare. Um, and so in line with that, my three movies for Arnold Schwarzenegger, number three is actually a recent one. It's 2013's Escape Plan, where he stares opposite Sylvester Stallone, who I noted because I went down a bit of a wormhole. He's done two more Escape Plan movies um, without Arnold. This is really underrated. Um, this is 6.7 out of 10. I feel like that one should be a bit higher. I just felt like the, the 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 plot with this one was 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 quite a lot of fun with you know Stallone and Schwarzenegger in prison and uh, and escape. I mean, I love an escape movie at the best of times, but you throw those two together, Schwarzenegger's hilarious in this one. It's one of his sort of one of his first movies he's made after he came back from being the governor of California. Um, then number two for me was 1987's Predator. Um, talked about it just you know a couple of weeks ago having rewatched that such a great movie such a great story so many one-liners it is the franchise that i feel most surprised and a little bit disappointed that he didn't come back because you know he always says he's going to come back right uh and i feel like dutch would be a really a really interesting character for him to have, have, have checked in on but there we go and number one for me 1991's terminator 2 of all the Terminators, and I still quite like the last two, despite popular opinion, that this this is the iconic one, and this is where he's at his absolute peak for me, and he has that wonderful script from James Cameron and the direction, and just you know one of the the, the best movies of all time, I would argue, and uh, it's it was really hard to go anywhere other than that. So that's my three, two, one, Escape Plan, Predator, and Terminator Two, Judgment Day. Amazing, amazing choices. Um, you know, I think what peak performance for me is all about for me is it's not necessarily the highest rated movie, but it's the movies that really like stick with you mm. and you, you enjoyed them at a certain point in your life. And, you know, they may not be that now, but, you know, that they, they were good in their day. So with that in mind, um, you know, I I really wanted to bring in some classics in here um, beyond the ones that you've already talked about. Um, and you know what? I'm going to make a decision on the fly, and I'm going to do that. So I'm going to go for my three, two, one. I'm going to go for the number three, uh, the movie from 1988, Twins, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Danny DeVito, classic old school 80s humor. You know, even even the the poster art says only their mother can tell them apart and it's gold like like Danny DeVito is is a national treasure and everything about this is just a lot of fun for um movie two I'm going to go with Conan the Destroyer from 1984 I brilliant absolutely loved this movie when I was a young Padawan and I loved I loved it because it was it had a real like Dungeons and Dragons vibe and it was kind of it was kind of um edgy for its time and Arnold Schwarzenegger was the perfect person to play Conan because he was such a beast it was it was a lot of fun 
And then for my number one, same as you, I can't go past Terminator 2 Judgment Day. I'm a big fan of Terminator 1, but Terminator 2 is the is really the gold standard when it comes to Terminator movies. And I just think it was such a, a great um, moment when actually we've got um, Arnold Schwarzenegger back, but he's he's actually the he's the hero in this one mm. as opposed to the villain. So so well played. So twins, Conan the Destroyer. And Terminator 2. Great choices, Dan. I really appreciated that. And Terminator 2, just on that note, I don't know about you, but when you think about walking out of the cinema through you know, the last 30-odd years or whatever, just that's one of those movies I just recall vividly walking out of the cinema from and just having like such an experience. And it's I, I, I've re-watched Star Wars at the cinema when they've re-released it at the cinema. I feel like this would be a movie I would go back to the cinema to see. I feel like it was just, I feel like it's aged really well. Oh, absolute classic. I really enjoyed it. I would love the opportunity, you know, if I was a Make-A-Wish kid, I would like want to ride my motorbike down the, the sewers in California and that sort of, you know, the, the old school Terminator 2 style, you've got your, like, your black sunglasses on, your leather jacket and you're like, you've got a truck chasing you. So good. Well, I guess then that is probably pretty much us for this week. And so... Uh, thanks once again to Time Travelling Team Podcast for bringing this week's episode. Also, a special shout out to our Patreon producers of the show, Trisha Brady and Samara King. If you would like to become a Patreon, then you can find those details in the show notes below. Make sure you come and join us on all of those channels that Paul's been talking about, especially join our Discord channel. Where you'll be able to watch the movie of the week. Um, but until next week, everyone, adios.